Are there parts of motherhood that did not come naturally? Do you feel overwhelmed? Are there secrets you wish you knew in advance about the motherhood journey? Could you use a place to cope with motherhood, laugh your woes away, and lighten the mommy guilt? Welcome to Toward, finding a mom-life balance. Hello, welcome to Torn, finding a mom-life balance beyond the guilt. We're your host, Athena. And memes. And on today's episode, we are going to talk about mommy methodology. What we mean by that is how we came up with our method, our way of becoming mom. The memes, share with our folks some of the like seeds that you planted. Well, it's really interesting when we, every time we've picked topics and, you know, we do our little own reflection and prepping, it was interesting the spiral that my mind could go on because uh, personally as giving life to someone myself, it's been five years, but I'm in education. I'm very close to lots of my friends' children. I've had different phases. I have my nephews. Um, Shout out to my birthday twin. Um, he knows who he is and, um, children have always had a special place in my heart. So I feel like a lot of my, I thought a lot of my groundwork was there for parts of becoming a mom. Um, and it was more the adulting and being myself and being independent that I constantly had to struggle with, but then reflecting, there's so many decisions you make all the time. So it was kind of hard to pinpoint which one were the formative ones, which ones were really thought out and which ones were by default, which ones were um, like, hey, that was, you know, I didn't turn out so bad. That one was okay. Or, hey, I totally want her to be more outgoing than I was earlier. So I need to pay close attention to that. Um, it was really curious what that reflection brought me to. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with identifying what your feelings are about becoming a mom early on. And then what are those like foundational things you want to focus on? And so it was really nice to think of the process with coming up with Soph's name. So her middle name is Grace Torn Tribe. So, you know, when you hear our tagline, you probably think it's related. They completely born in different ways, but the same kind of grace in mind. Um, And just knowing a long time ago, it would be Sophie on my own in another phase of my life. And it was like, well, hey, Omar, that's done. Um, And late in my pregnancy before really knowing she was a girl, it was just interesting that he's like, yeah, you're giving me pick a boy's name because you're pretty sure it's a girl. And I'm just like, we don't, we don't know for sure. Like pick a name. Um, and then, uh, you know, in, in kind of an auspicious way, meditating to like a, a 21 day and it was themed with grace and saying her name and saying that instantly it just came to my mind. Um, along those, so I enjoyed being pregnant. I embraced the like people pampering me and making assumptions of like, oh, do you need help with that? I'm like, sure. Kids want to cart my stuff down to the elevator, feel free. Um, And I enjoyed sharing some of the things I loved, like sharing my body and then being like, we're going to take nice baths. We're going to listen to music. I got headphones for my belly. Um, I loved 
the nesting and like preparing things. I liked Omar and I like planning my monthly photos and going to prenatal yoga. There were all those things in preparing. Um, but then there were like the big decisions, right? It was like, was I going to be able to breastfeed? Was, was I going to be able to stick out the pain? There were even the, you know, but most of it, um, what was really, really reaffirming for me is that as the process continued, my sister gave me, you know, hosted a beautiful surprise shower for me. And as it continued, I saw these pieces of really being part of a really strong women's network and a really strong tribe that kind of made me feel reaffirmed about who I was as an individual, which really surprised me because I was like, why would more responsibility give me that when it was just me? I didn't really feel that certainty. So it was a really curious beginning for me. <laughs> well, that's interesting because um, I would say my mommy methodology, I liken it to gardening. You know, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And as, you know, North Carolina people know, we get a lot of humidity. So tending to a garden takes quite a lot of attention because you look away for five seconds and you got mold on your daisies. Um, or like I went out there the other day and I'm like, where did this ant colony come from? Literally, I just haven't looked at you in like one week, one week and you guys are all gone um, and getting invaded. So I would say it's the small seeds. And I think my husband had a large part to do with planting the small seeds because in our pre-marriage counseling the number for me and this is the one area where we were like shocked by each other's answers because our our pastor was like okay guys bring in your homework and like flip your books to each other because it asked the question how many children do you want and I was you know upset by the question because I'm like why are they assuming you already want children <laughs> So I had a big fat donut in mine, a very proud zero, <laughs> which is hilarious for dry because today I have four awesome sons. <laughs> and my husband flipped his around and I about almost fell on the floor because the number four was in the box. And I'm like, who does this man think he's getting four kids from? I'm like, I don't know about that, but okay. If that's the only thing we have not in common, think I can breathe and make it through. But as we continued um, and we got married and we were just doing ministry together and working as consultants, like the Lord was just planting little seeds along the way. I walked into work one day and saw a foster care pamphlet on my office manager's desk. And I don't know why it caught my attention, I picked it up and started reading it. And that's where the seeds of becoming a mom started getting planted because I realized, hey, the four doesn't have to be daunting anymore because it's not like I need to give birth to all four. <laughs> I can adopt or I can be a part-time mom and like hang out with a kid for a weekend and just be a good mentor, right? And so when we realized that we were going to adopt Sasha, our oldest, um, I started realizing that, wow, one of the guilty things that I felt was just this all-consuming power that all of a sudden happened to me. It's like I went from not thinking about kids at all in the sense of me being their mom, right, and only being a mentor to all of a sudden becoming so consumed with the thought of becoming a mom 
but that's literally all I talked about. And I was like, who is this person? And at times I would end a conversation with a friend and feel so bad because I'm like, did I ask them about their day? Did I? No, I didn't. I was so excited about going to get my son in Ukraine that I would just talk about the homesteading and talk about all these things that we were doing to prepare for him. And like, oh, did you know this about Ukraine? And can you believe like Anastasia was around that? And I used to be obsessed with that cartoon. And like, and just looking back and seeing all the ways that God was slowly preparing me to accept being a mom by the only means he knew I would accept it in this crazy love adventure to Ukraine. And I found myself feeling guilty because I was like, wow. Am I a hypocrite? I said I wanted zero. And I would go back and open that book and be like, how did I write down zero? And even still, like my boys are like, are you sure you wanted us? It says in this book that you didn't. <laughs> like, I know I was documented. What was I thinking? This is what you burn all your journals, people. Um, before you become bedridden, burn all your journals. Um, so just the slow seeds like that. And then... You know, the other, if I had to name the other guilt that I felt um, was the shame of not being a mom or doing things like all the women that I honor and I truly cherish how they parented, right? Like my grandmother, my mom, my aunt, and even some friends' moms, like I truly love how they were moms and even the mom role that they played in my life. But I didn't really implement any of those things once I became a mom, because honestly, I was just trying to survive. Like I had gone to Ukraine and brought home this eight-year-old that didn't speak English and his broken English was, mama, what for me to do? And I'm like, I need a mom methodology. <laughs> and being the business consultant that I am, you know, I try to project plan that nonsense because I'm like, you know, there's but so many hours in a day. We can project plan breakfast, lunch, and dinner and give that to Steve because he's an amazing <laughs> chef. I don't have to do that. And then, you know, we could put him in public school and they'll like figure out how to speak English to him. And that fell apart as part. So I found myself homeschooling. And I'm like, I had never met really a homeschooler. Like when I was younger, it wasn't until I got older and started going back to church and stuff like that, that I met these so-called homeschool parents. And I'm like, you do what? You guys sit around and do school together? You do math with your kids? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of math. Um, so diving into all that, I just started grasping and leaning into things that I knew I was confident in, regardless of the mom title. So because that, lots of the values surfaced, right? Like yeah. let's go to the root of what it, what's important to me. Yeah. So that feeling of shame started dwindling when I started leaning into that, including for myself a strategy to be the best mom I could be and no longer think in my head, like, oh my gosh, I gotta be like that mom or I gotta be like my mom. Like in order for my mom to come over and not roll her eyes, I must make sure that I'm up before my kids. I tried that for a year and a half. People. It didn't work out. They beat me every time. I, I got blessed with kids that wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning. You take your version of blessed of what that means. But yeah, I was like, no, I didn't wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. 
you know, like I told my mom some grace and I slept in <laughs> for quite some time. Right. It would, I, I, and I think it's curious that when we think about this, so much of us goes to like nature and things that are very like, um, for me, they're like, grounded and earthy kind of feelings and emotions because for me it was this acceptance from my tribe and being in my tribe a certain way finally made me feel like complete made me feel like the things that I was doing independently were feeding into this path um, and giving me a confidence in something I found really important and so you know from meeting my doula even though I didn't have a natural birth in the end and playing the music and having my mom for beyond my first 40 days and, you know, having routines with Soph and singing songs and being very playful. They were all things that really came naturally to me before, but because it wasn't fitting into a peg hole, like it was just happening because I would be in settings and embracing things. And I would hear friends say like, you do that so naturally, or why do you know all these details about Disney movies? Or how do you have that? Inf why do you still have that information in your mind? And I'm like, you really act like the last time I saw one of these movies was years ago. It was probably last weekend when I binged like Ariel, or I was online for a Harry Potter book, or, right? Like, so all these things that were me, we're feeding into the things that I could share at home with the kids and, you know, having my stepdaughter and people looking at me like you do bath time and you love going to Sesame place and doing these things so naturally, like why? And I'm just like, well, they were still when I had no kids. <laughs> so, um, and being a kid at heart, while I didn't know that it was like a tool I had in my belt was something that really made, figuring out what was important to me. And so for me, it was sitting on the floor and doing tummy time and reading the black and white books and playing with puzzles. And even though my daughter resisted putting any shapes or cubes into the right spots and was like, this is not how we play with this. Or if you insist on playing that way, I'm not going to play with you. Those were the, you know, singing songs I sang when I was a kid, reading poetry to her that my dad read to me. My mom's specific bath strategy, like knowing all those things um, and lotion, you know, and even the kudos of my mom liking that I added lavender baths soap to her bath. And I was like, oh, did I did I add a tip to like your foolproof take care of baby system? I got a star. Um, so all those things that reaffirmed, like there are things you value, you held on to them. Here's, here's your phase and time to pass them on. Um, helped me feel really reassured during a time. I remember Obi being, being really expectant of hesitance. And he's like, you're great at bath time with bobblehead kids. And you're not upset about throw up or you know, I only got upset about throw up a little later but baby drool and all those none of those phases bothered me I, I loved um I loved that stage and for me it's more like the opinions and talking back and late, yeah. later fast forward to all the things I was like oh this is what I was expecting and okay I'll have to adjust yeah, my expectations yeah. yeah um but then bigger decisions come in right when they're not just in the in your care and it's how they're going to embrace the rest of the world and what philosophies you want with how they play with others or how they learn. Like I'm, I'm very judgmental about phonics reading versus language <laughs> reading, right? Like I have all these opinions and it's like, 
I'm going to send you out to those people and they're going to kind of influence you too. And how do I keep my hold on what you think and how you respond? And so you got to do your research and figure out who you want to trust, you know, with daycare and what play dates you're okay with and, you know, all of, all of those bigger outside the house decisions. But I think it's really important when you've planted those seeds and, really decided within yourself what what's the goal like what's your bigger goal what are the things that are going to keep you up at night yeah and I think you leaned into an important aspect of like what you're comfortable with right so like you knew you like the infant the bobbly head the bath time the crawling around the floor whereas I knew the minute they handed me that bobbly head child I was like oh yeah there's a reason why I started with an eight-year-old because I don't do a bobbly head. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, poor Sam. I'm like, child, you gotta, the minute you come out, I don't see what's the problem with having a night you can hold. <laughs> Seriously, you don't need me and me with my big monkey hands. I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> like, twist you the wrong way. And like, Steve would laugh at me because I'm like, you put the onesie on. Because I promise you, I will snap this neck of this rubber chicken, this skinny little guy. My babies were very bony. <laughs> like, they didn't have much meat on them. I'm like, at least, you know, it, you know, you look at other infants, you're like, oh man, at least they got some meat on them. Mine look like sickly little chickens. Um, you know, so I was always like so careful with them. I'm like, my big clumsy hands, I'm like, I'm bound to drop them. So I was very uncomfortable with that. So I think that's important, though, is to embrace where you're at. Like, if that makes you uncomfortable, then look forward because it happens fast. Like, you blink. Like, and my mother-in-law has this saying at the beginning of school year, every time you blink, it's just a blink, right? It's just a blink, she'll always tell you. It's just a blink, so just blink. And so kidding around with her this year because we'll be retiring, and, you know, we sent her a bouquet saying the same thing. And she was saying that as I was sending her pictures of the boys in their first day of school, I was like, yeah, you just blink and they move out of your house. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to up your mental game. And that's part of your mommy methodology, right? <laughs> like, And of course, they were like, yeah, well, you'll be blinking with tears in your eyes. And I'm like, yes, I'll be crying. Maybe. But give me a reason to cry. Give me a reason to cry, boys. Um, as you spear on out into the lovely world. But I think also being that very like project management mindset, early on in my parenting journey with Sasha, my oldest, I realized there were really three buckets that I always struggled with that I needed to spend time on. And that was my physical. And so when I became, before even going to adopt Sasha, I was always working out and running and always paying attention to my body. But and then when you become consumed with someone else's life, <laughs> you're a little person, you kind of forget. And you're like, man, I don't have the energy to go for a run. I don't even have the energy to do any cardio. I can't even walk on a treadmill or show up to a gym or anything like that. You're like, I'm trying to keep someone else alive here. And then when I was pregnant with Sam, you know, people would always talk about like, oh, to have like natural birth and to have a good delivery, like walk, just, just walk. And so I would start off in a jog and slowly as I progressed getting bigger, I would walk and I kind of maintained that for all three because I realized, oh, there's some truth to that. 
and it definitely helps like losing weight afterwards because I personally don't like bumping into things or forgetting how wide I am because that that's the most obnoxious part about pregnancy is like you stand up you're like oh I thought I could slip on by without moving the whole table <laughs> but you move the whole table and you're like oh I'm sorry <laughs> so the physical and then the spiritual was always important to me and figuring out how to because we grew up in a household where one of our parents was completely like dead to spirituality and like deaf to it and then another one that was very consumed in it and so it's like where's the balance like how do i I expose my kids to my spirituality and let them see me authentically worshiping or authentically reading the word, doing all that and not make them feel like one, they have to do it, right? Because it's not a chore, it's not a task. Because I started with an eight-year-old. So I'm like, how do I show him that this is something I do because it's an aspect of being a human? We have physical, mental, and spiritual, like we're three-dimensional. And convey to him it's not a right or wrong thing, it's love, right? Like, how do I do that? And so with Sasha, it just became like reading, reading together or just reading in his presence because I couldn't help where he would be. <laughs> you know, we homeschooled him. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to get used to reading by myself and having someone, what are you doing? Are you done yet? Can you read it to me? You know, interrupting me. One of these great divine inter interruptions that they are. Or the little baby that, you know, I either would get the opportunity to read it while I was sleeping, read it while I was nursing, you know, or worship over its loud screams. Um, so just weaving that in and figuring out how to do that because I knew spirituality was important for me. And then, of course, mental and emotional, like, how do I embrace every emotion? Oh, my gosh, people, I, I tell you, I was kind of Elsa. I had an ice heart before I became a mom. I did not cry. I think, I, I don't think I cried for an ending of a movie until I was, like, probably in high school. And I was like, why are people always crying in the movies? Like, I just don't get it, you know, and. Being that I grew up in a land home, very emotional people always crying and yelling, either extreme, um, you know, happy tears, bad tears, tears. <laughs> everything has tears. I kind of like shut down that part of me, but becoming a mom, I just couldn't help it. I couldn't help, but like become waterworks, and then especially with pregnancy and all of the hormones, you're like, I'm crying, but I don't know why I'm crying. I'm not happy and I'm not sad. I'm just crying. <laughs> so building a strategy to build that in to my mommy mythology helped me get beyond the guilt of feeling like I wasn't embracing those that have parented me or have poured into me other great women or, you know, the shame of being consumed and talking about my kids. So. I, I definitely agree. And for me, some of the physical was even in having been, you know, becoming a parent later on having freedom of my schedule and my time and my space. Yeah. It was sharing that, accepting that I'd be sharing that, um, which Omar sometimes has to remind me. <laughs> and then um, spiritually, it was um, my meditations, like I shared with her, her name, but it was also to give that peace and that clarity because of such an 
a transformation that sometimes you're not sure what to expect. And even when you're planning and you're preparing and you're reading, the, the pan you're dealt is not what you expected or you prepped for. You queued up for one thing and something else turned out. Um, but for me, it was just faith. It was, it was like a, a calming belief that there, there's like a whole path and I don't have to know it, but that it's being guided for me and it's in my best interest and my child's best interest, my family's best interest and um, listening to that and, and allowing that guidance. That is not always what we think we know corporeally like here. Um, and they can, they can make you feel more connected uh, yeah. to that bigger plan. Um, and mentally, it, for me, it's always naming and that's kind of where the podcast came from. That's so much of what I was reflecting about as an individual, the transformations, what I would hear other people say or how they would respond to what I would say would let me know that it wasn't very common for people to admit like after 12, after she was 12 months, 18 months, after I got over sending her to daycare, I actually wanted space for myself that yes, I would talk a lot about her because in being my first um, that I saw every single phase of, right? Like even when you're familiar with kids and you're like, oh, they get so excited when they learn to walk or um, they're cranky at this point or they giggle with this or not every kid likes to be tickled. And you're familiar with those things when your own piece of you and in whatever form that is, because it is that proximity, when you see that development, you're kind of awed. And that's another part that like enforces the spiritual where you're just like, oh, these are the amazing things we can't explain. Like, um, also thinking back to my pregnancy, just knowing more in depth, like I knew the biology of how she was developing, but understanding the science between weight gain and that it's all so, it, I'm just like, oh, this is bigger than just science, right? Like this was such a genius plan so that I wouldn't have to carry on any extra pounds. All the ones I'm carrying is my fault entirely because she's like bare bones until the very end. <laughs> um, and being really in awe of that, but being able to express that it's exhausting, that I'm not a morning person, that I don't, I was never always prepared for things for myself. And then seeing in other people's faces, the like, did you just say that out loud? Yeah. And, you know, do you want to have more children? It's like, nope have stepchildren, had a child, yeah. and I'm perfectly good. Like, had the experience, enjoying it, yeah. riding it out, and this look of judgment. And so being able to be in the space of admitting that made me really, really interested in making more spaces for that because I could tell that it was rare for people to admit these guilty feelings. Yeah, and I think Torn Tribe, that's our message, is just name your guilt and create a strategy to get beyond it by leaning into what you already know you like and you don't like, and that's okay. And I love the like, yeah, I have one child that I don't want to have anymore. Like, I know my limits. <laughs> Thank you very much. Like Built-in siblings, she has them. Yeah. Done. <laughs> but also, you we know, were discussing like the confidence in what you are good at, right? Like yeah. we talk. As moms, we do have so much that we can say or vent about. or But then there's other things that we know. And it might not be one phase in particular versus the other. No. But just giving yourself that credit and taking that pat on the back. Because there's so many things pulling at you that when you can kind of say, like, 
I'm really in a, in a good place with myself on this, that can help you until you meet the next phase that like requires a little something extra. Um, but like feel confident in the things that in your gut and in your experience and what you've known have gone well for you are going smoothly. Um, because we have those two, we have the, the challenges, we feel torn, but we also have our strengths and our confidence. Yeah. And don't buy the lie of, Hey, I regret parenthood because that's not, that's not the feeling that you're having. You're just having the, you're basically experiencing a seed growing into a flower and a lot goes on underground <laughs> before it actually sprouts and becomes this beautiful thing and before you know it you do have a garden in mind it was literally a blink and i cannot wait for the blink where i'm packing them up and moving them out <laughs> so and that's okay that doesn't mean i regret having them that means i'm treasuring i am thoroughly in the throes of every moment and so are you torn tribe so drop us a line on what's meant uh like what your mommy methodology what how you got there we would love to hear that and now we're going to move on to our segment of the show that we like to call the men and in the men we share the one thing or maybe five things whatever it takes to keep us together so that we can actually get through our lovely days so funny enough um my like ideal self in my head loves crafting and do it yourself and things that take like planning supplies and many steps but sometimes like my project gets too big and things don't happen but i was given a really great task earlier today um it was a gift soph got but i woke up to like we're doing this today and we crafted mostly me, supervised, um, a mermaid blanket. And it's beautiful. Oh. And it was great. And I had gotten one other blanket. And now this one gave me the confidence to, like, finish the other quilt. Because I, I just started. And in every little double knot and every little, like, seam I made, it was just like, okay, we're making progress. And I was getting validation. It's like, ooh, it's so Is it done? Is it done? Yeah. Like, it looks, oh, it's looking the way it's supposed to. She looks like a mermaid. <laughs> um, and so it just reminds me, like, just be in the moment. It actually helped probably my brain decompress and yeah. reset me for what the week will hold um, without knowing it. Like, it was not yesterday morning. I couldn't have told you that I'd be making a mermaid blanket. So. so thank you, whoever gifted the mermaid blanket to Sophie slash Mimi. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would say what's mending me and helping me get it together and keep it moving um, was spending time with my mom and just hearing her talk about what's going on at her job or her t-shirt business, like the visions that she's having there, the creativity. And it's so interesting to hear her like narrate her day and what she gets involved in and stuff like that because the creativity I don't know where I was as a kid because a lot of the things our parents do now I'm like did you were you always creative and I just didn't pick up on it and that's why I like to create you know 
Like, I just never pictured her as a creative being. I have always seen her as, like, the salsa dancer, you know? Like, the, <laughs> the fun party, life of the party, you know, sunshine in the room type person. So now it's really cool to hear her talk about, like, these designs and just the vision she has. I could pass on the 3 a.m. text, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's all part of the package. But um, just seeing her tinker with it and exploring and no longer being scared of pushing the button on the computer <laughs> and um, thinking that she's going to break the machine, you know. So those things have been mending because I'm like, man, once I get to her age, who knows what I'll be tinkering with. Like, you know, she was this amazing, you know, stay-at-home mom while we were kids. And then this amazing, like, grandma um, doing all that. But then she's created this whole new person of herself so much later in life and just thoroughly enjoying it. So I'm like, wow, things can shift. Things can look different. But you can still thrive and have this joy. So yep. We're all learning new side hustles and playing with more technology. Yep. <laughs> Yay. Inspiring. Yeah, it definitely is inspiring. So Torn Tribe, we would love to hear what's mending you these days. Me and Color folks have to stay connected. So we are at Torn MLB on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we'd love to get an email from you. Please write us to tornmlb at gmail.com. Thanks, Thanks for joining. For joining.